the show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. The trade deadline dust has finally settled after Tuesday. We're recording this on Wednesday. And the Marlins completed only one move, but it was kind of an unconventional move and fairly interesting as far as these deadline deals go, which means that uh, we have plenty of time to break it down as thoroughly as we possibly can. It's going to ultimately be a four-player transaction between the Marlins and the Blue Jays. So my special guest on this episode, it is Sean Doyle, founder of Jays from the Couch. You can check out all of his Blue Jays coverage on jaysfromthecouch.com. Uh, we'll dive deep into this latest trade, uh, look ahead to other potential additional deals that could come together between these two teams in the near-term future. They have a lot of pieces, they have complementary pieces, I would say, and as proved to be the case in this one. So thank you for joining me, Sean. Oh, are you kidding? It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, so these teams, we'll start with this, some history, because the Marlins and Blue Jays are not strangers to each other in terms of making deals. This is the third straight year that they've had a mid-season deal like this. This one on deadline day in uh, 2021, that was the awkward Adam Simber, Corey Dickerson. Um, who did the Marlins even get? They got Joe Panic and Andrew McInvale. Um, a very bizarre one. That was in the middle of You're 2021. <laughs> and do, you, do you remember what they did in 2020 on deadline day between these teams? 2020, yeah. So... On deadline, I don't. Off the top of my head, I don't remember. 2020 was a, a weird 60-game season, so I don't recall. It was Jonathan VR for Griffin Cole. Oh, yes. See, there's the thing is that most Blue Jays fans want to forget, right? Like, yeah. that, was, <laughs> that was a rather uh, a lead balloon, I think, is the, mm -hmm. the term that best describes that. Yeah, and, and still a little while ago to be sure that Conine contributes to the Marlins and the majors, but they're cautiously optimistic. He's made some nice strides the past mm -hmm. couple of years. Was going back to 2022, and um, as I said, that history could lay the foundation for future deals, I imagine. In terms of this deadline, the Blue Jays entering the deadline, they were at the time 57 and 45. They were holding us the first American League wildcard spot. They had, according to Fangraphs, about a 97% chance to make the playoffs, almost locked in at this point, kind of just playing for something more than that, playing for mostly October at, at this point. What were you hoping to see from the Jays on deadline day? Because ultimately, I believe it was four different moves. Are you satisfied with uh, what they did? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of people who, as soon as the deadline passed, were, I would say, disappointed in all honesty, I think that we were hoping for, you know, uh, Luis Castillo, um, you know, some people even held out hope for a Juan Soto or Shohei Otani kind of thing, but that faded quickly. I think people realized that wasn't overly realistic considering what the Blue Jays actually needed. Um, <clears throat> but in general, I would say the, the mood was pretty disappointing. It's taken a while for uh, everybody to kind of, come to terms with why these deals happened the way they did and in particular why uh, the names that came to Toronto um, are actually a good thing as opposed to the big names that people were hoping to see. Right. And the one that uh, we're focused on in this particular case was between the Marlins and the Blue Jays four-player deal, and, and you see it up there, and uh, I'll put it on the bottom for people to see as well. 
a three for one, it will ultimately be with uh, the Marlins sending Anthony Bass, Zach Pop, a player to be named later, and in return, receiving infield prospect Jordan Groshans. I need to keep making sure I pronounce his name correctly. It's a tricky <laughs> one. But a former first-round draft pick of the Blue Jays. We'll get into him in the moment. But as the guest, I wanted to start with the players that the Blue Jays are getting in return here. Players mm-hmm. that, um, especially in Bass's case, we'll start with Bass as somebody that Blue Jays are familiar with and that they clearly got him with the intention of plugging him into this major league team and making their bullpen better. Yeah, that's right. I think the Blue Jays entered the the trade deadline with one very clear need, and that was the bullpen. Uh, You know, it would have been nice to get a starter and maybe even an extra bat. Um, But they addressed their bullpen, uh, which was the biggest need. And Anthony Bass is somebody that the Blue Jays front office is very familiar with, uh, having, you know, spent time here in Toronto not too long ago. Uh, And he'll slot in in a a perfect spot uh, because they've got Jordan Romano at closer, Jimmy Garcia uh, in the eighth inning, Anthony Bass in the seventh inning, slide him right in there. And you've almost got kind of something you don't necessarily see a whole lot of anymore in baseball, but that kind of seven, eight, nine defined roles um, that the Blue Jays are going to roll out there. And I think it's a good one. It's a, it's a great, uh, Anthony Bass is a great addition to, to what they already have. I think a lot of people were looking for a big name like a, a Rizal Iglesias from uh, the Los Angeles Angels, you know, another closer, but they didn't really need one. You know, they've got an all-star closer already. So I think what they really needed was somebody who could come in and fill a particular role. And Anthony Bass does that for sure. 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Another terrific slider there for Bass. Two balls, two strikes, two outs. Tie game last of the ninth. Did he go? He did. Anthony Bass strikes out the side. In terms of particular role, you're on the money because the Marlins seem to get the best out of him by putting him very specifically into the seventh inning. Like it became a running joke last year. The Marlins signed him. If you weren't aware, he started last year as their closer and that did not go well. And there've been moments the last two years where they've tried to put him back in there. And it's just, it's just really remarkable that every time he pitches in the ninth inning in a save situation, something goes wrong, even when it's out of his control. And yet when he's in the seventh inning, the numbers were off the charts, and for whatever reason, like that routine uh, went well for him. I, I just want to yeah. say personally, I, I feel like, and apparently it seems that major league teams themselves, I think they're sleeping on exactly how amazing he has been this year overall. Uh, I know he has a long history of being basically a four ERA, a four fielder, independent pitching guy, like a very ordinary reliever. And I understand why people might be skeptical about what he's done this year, but the way that he's attacking the strike zone early in the count and the way that he is trusting his slider more than ever to put hitters away and to get like this ideal type of contact. I I don't think he's going to regress as much as a lot of people might suspect the rest of the way. I think you got a really good one. And to be clear for people that weren't aware, he does have a club option for next year that uh, the blue Jays will very likely pick up assuming nothing turns disastrous down the stretch. Yeah, you have to think so, right? A $3 million reliever is, is you know, that's that's nothing, really. Uh, in this day and age, when you're seeing guys, you know, make, get $15 million a season for being, you know, one of the top relievers. Uh, and I think that's part of what played into the Blue Jays' decision uh, was that extra year uh, that they have, potentially. Um, but I think you're, you have an excellent point there that, that 
sometimes Major League Baseball is about finding the right spot to use guys in, right? And I think that clearly uh, Miami did that with Anthony Bass, and now the Blue Jays are going to hopefully benefit from that. Now, moving to Zach Pop himself, also a reliever this year with the Marlins, about split pretty evenly between AAA, Jacksonville, and in the major leagues. What did you know about Pop prior to this? Um, because this was only his second major league season, and he is a native Canadian. That's right. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what your impressions of him were when finding out he was in here. Yeah, that was about it, really. Uh, you know, most most Blue Jays fans uh, knew he was Canadian. Um, you know, the, the hard throwing. Uh, but I think that what what we're we're looking forward to is just more depth for that bullpen. Kind of raising, uh, you know, it's become a term here. I don't know about in in, in Miami Marlins circles, but raising the floor has become a term that uh, Blue Jays fans are certainly familiar with. And I think that's that's what um, we get with Zach Pop, and and in particular the Blue. Blue Jays love, they have an obsession with uh, years of control uh, over players. And, and I know that they're not unique in that situation, but they are, they're willing to pay um, for it. Uh, and so Zach Pop gets to come home, play for a, a contending team. And um, I think it's a kind of a match made in, uh, in heaven. You just rang my memory. I, one of the few times I've heard Ross Atkins speak is, I think, didn't he have like this, that very memorable line about years of control getting in exchange? Maybe it was the Marcus Stroman trade. It was one particular deal. I remember that he took some flack for uh, like touting the years of control of the players they were getting back after trading like a very impactful yeah, yeah. team. He stopped actually using the phrase for a while there because I think fans were just like, come on. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that that seems to be the the driving force behind a lot of the targets. You know, when you traded Josh Donaldson for Julian Merriweather, that was uh, a thing. Um, you know, and, and it, there's a number of, of uh, examples of that uh, throughout his tenure in the, in the front office. Um, and now we've kind of, I don't know if it's a, a chicken and egg thing here, but uh, now Blue Jays fans are like, yeah, you know what? That's a good thing. He'll be here for... For, for a few more years and and i think they kind of have kind of let that message sink into themselves a little bit as well it's a much different philosophy than the marlins i noticed that in each of the last few full seasons the marlins have traded a guy exactly like pop that had that's pre-arbitration eligible and that is showing interesting things as a reliever they did it with nick anderson to the rays in 2019 they did it last year with john curtis to the brewers all guys that were having pretty good seasons and had were very inexpensive and very controllable, but um, especially when it comes to relievers, they, the Marlins don't seem to be too worried about that configuration. And one other note for me, just on Pop, is this year um, he is almost a one-pitch pitcher. He's throwing his sinker like 83% of the time. It's basically him. It's it's Clay, You're familiar with Clay Holmes of the Yankees. It's basically him and Holmes that are at the top of the major league leaderboard in terms of relying on that one pitch. It's It doesn't get as many swings and misses as Clay Holmes yeah. does, but it's getting a lot of ground balls and weak contact. For, and for, let me take Pop's stats overall because he's been very good this year. What's not like even shown in the stats is that they've been bringing him in with inherited base runners, and he's been almost perfect at stranding them. He just had this one outing right before he got dealt where he had this finger issue, and that's when he allowed like a crooked number that almost doubled his ERA. But overall, uh, he's another guy just like this that, uh, although uh, as I get to in a little bit, I'm in favor of what the Marlins did in this deal. I think just like Bass, uh, Pop is somebody that as soon as this year, I 
think he can actually improve uh, the Jays bullpen or almost any other because he is he's unique. He is a little bit different than a lot of these other relievers. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I think that uh, one thing we've seen over the past couple of years is Ross Atkins has a kind of epiphany for uh, affinity, I should say, for um, strikeout guys, uh, swing and miss stuff. And Zach Pop doesn't necessarily fit that, uh, but what he does do is get a lot of ground balls. And the Blue Jays have uh, made defense a priority uh, with Matt Chapman at third base, uh, who's actually made you know Bo Bichette just a little bit better as well. Uh, and so the the defense for the Blue Jays has improved. And so I think you know maybe. Last year, you don't see them going after a guy who who has a, a ground ball rate of well over sixty percent. Uh, but this year, I think they felt confident that they they could do that. You know, you need a you need a late double play. Uh, why not bring in Pop, right? <laughs> so now to the Marlins side of the deal with Jordan Groshans, the former first round draft pick, who was picked one spot ahead of the Marlins in twenty eighteen. And from my understanding. He, um, the Marlins were very interested in drafting him back then if he fell to them. Them and the Marlins, they were every game. You know, they were heavy, 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 scouted me, had previous history because of my brother. I didn't know I was going to be a Blue Jay till the 11th pick. Which maybe is not a coincidence that they actually targeted him in this deal. But it is unusual to deal several major league veterans to get a prospect in return. And uh, I think... Because of that past connection, I think that was just one of the factors that uh, drew them to him in this situation. Yeah, I think you see a lot of that uh, more so now, I think, in baseball where, you know, teams have had their eye on somebody for a long time. And Ross Atkins is certainly one of those people, uh, you know. So yeah, I know we're going to talk about Pablo Lopez probably a little bit later. But, you know, the fact that he's had his eye on Pablo Lopez for a while means that you can, you can bet there will be some conversations this winter. Um, but for Miami, yeah, they were one pick away from getting Jordan Groshans uh, in 2018 out of um, high school and Blue Jays took him uh, but still just 22 years old you know there's lots of of room for development uh, um, for him right and I checked out one of your articles on Jays from the couch.com from just a few days ago uh, that did mention Groshans as somebody that could be in one of these packages of a trade that they make to improve the major league team right now so you are, are you you're probably not too surprised that he may have been dealt at this deadline no, I'm not surprised at all. Actually, uh, I, I would have put a good deal of money down that Jordan Groshans would have been dealt at the deadline. Um, I think what I am surprised about, though, is the the entirety of the package that they got for Jordan Groshans. Uh, you know, the fact that they got Anthony Bass and Zach Pop alone, but also a player to be named later. Um, I know that, you know, from Miami Marlins fans, seeing that you got an organization's fourth best prospect is, is pretty pretty good uh it's nothing to sneeze at uh, but jordan groshans you know he's he's um he's not a complete player as of yet uh, uh probably last year they you know a lot of fans were saying he was having a great year um, a lot of fans were saying you know what this might be the uh the third baseman of the future mm-hmm. and toronto they went and traded for matt chapman because jordan groshans obviously isn't ready yet uh but then they went and extended matt chapman for a couple more years and maybe we should have at that point said hmm, maybe jordan groshans isn't quite uh, what we thought he would be um and if you look at his season this year um he's still getting on base which is great uh but as a third base prospect and and the blue jays have had him in buffalo playing all over the field you know and for 
third base at uh, shortstop and, and, and the corner outfield spots as well. To save three runs as he chops one toward short. It's going to be a tough play. Groshans backhands. Off balance throw. Wow, he got him. What a play by Groshans. Going to his right. And he throws out Stevenson at first base. Brilliant play. I think the one thing that's going to be tricky for him is that when you play third base, you gotta, you know, you, you should have some kind of power uh, from that position. And I think in his minor league, total minor league career, he's got like 15 home runs total. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yes, the power is always the last thing to develop. They say, uh, but he's going to have to do quite a bit of development if he's going to stick at third base um, as an everyday third baseman at the big leagues. Right. I'm going to play this brief highlight package again. It was mostly from this year, but I cheated with this first highlight. This no doubt home run. This was last year. This year, <laughs> he's only hit one home run that I think is later on in here that got over the wall. But it was, you're absolutely right in that based on 2021, um, and even prior to that, he was widely considered a, almost a consensus top 100 prospect in all of baseball. And for the moments, there is no longer that consensus, you know, based on some people um, and mostly comes down to this power tool or lack thereof. And the questions about mm-hmm. it, I mean, for people that have not seen the stats, 67 games at AAA this year and one home run at AAA. He plays in um, the International League. I don't think he's played head to head with Marlins prospects, but um, the Marlins AAA team offensively this year has put up amazing numbers in this league. So to see the contrast between would have been some very fringy players in the Marlins organization hit well at AAA this year, whereas this guy, uh, as we said, uh, somebody that has quite a bit of pedigree, he's a former first-round pick, and somebody that as recently as last year was like, OPSing in the 800s to see that big drop-off is, um, yeah, it's, it's very complicated because this is a new level for him, and he is very young for this level as well. There's just a lot of factors in trying to determine whether or not that power is eventually going to come for him. Yeah, that's true. And his OPS has always been great, but he has an ability to put the bat on the ball and, and like I said, to get on base. It's just that that power thing. And maybe, you know, who knows? Um, it could be just a, a small tweak uh, and then, off, you know, he's off to the races kind of thing. You know, we've seen it before in, in countless other people that, you know, they go to a new team, make a little change and away they go. Um, so hopefully for his sake, I hope uh, that the Marlins are able to, to figure that out for him um, because I've been high on Groshans for a while. Uh, he just hasn't been able to kind of add that element to his game that I think you kind of need as an everyday third baseman in the big leagues. Right. And that being the other factor is whether he's a third baseman or shortstop. I mean, based on your opinion, you seem pretty confident that it's going to be more likely third base than short. For what it's worth, uh, as almost as we're recording this, he's going to be making his Marlins organizational debut with AAA as shortstop. So they're going to try him at shortstop, at least for the near term future. That speaks to more of kind of a hole that they have in the organization, mm-hmm. more so than his skill set. But that that's going to be a very big difference because if you're a shortstop, you don't necessarily need very much power in order to be a valuable player. But exa- I totally agree that if it is third base, then that is a big consideration. Yeah, and I think too the you know there was um, and I don't know how much of the the Blue Jays trying they've done a lot of work and in, in mixing and matching their uh, defensive 
I guess, I don't know, versatility among their minor leaguers, you know, trying to move them around, trying to find a spot, um, either trying to spot, find a spot that works <laughs> or, uh, you know, trying to increase the value of those, those players and what they can bring to the club. Um, and so maybe, you know what, if Jordan Groshen settles in at shortstop, that's not a bad thing at all. Um, I wonder if, if, uh, his glove work is, up to the challenge of playing uh, major league shortstop. Uh, but, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, um, like I said, hopefully the Marlins can figure out uh, how to kind of develop that, uh, that bat just so that, you know, he has a bigger, I guess, a better chance of, of contributing as he, as he ages. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to pivot to a trade that did not happen between these teams with uh, Pablo Lopez being somebody at the Marlins, not just at this deadline, but probably for the better part of two years now, have at least been yeah. listening as somebody that they could move because they have a lot of confidence in their own pitching pipeline. And because probably at this particular moment, his value might not get any higher than it was at the deadline. Yeah. Based on most reports, it doesn't even seem like the Blue Jays made a big push for him at the deadline. It was mostly Yankees, Dodgers, and a little bit, of Cardinals as well, but but you but in the past, as recently as I think this past offseason, there was a direct link between the Blue Jays showing interest in Pablo. That's kind of your understanding of it too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, just because you know that we didn't hear about it, I would I would be shocked if Ross Atkins didn't uh, ask at least ask about Pablo Lopez again. Um, because we know he did last off season. Um, I'd be shocked if he didn't this trade deadline. And I would be shocked if he doesn't again in the off season coming. I think the Blue Jays have, uh, have wanted for a while, um, <clears throat> whether they maybe felt now was not necessarily the right time to go after another starter of that, uh, of that quality, uh, maybe they felt that the prices were just a bit high at the trade deadline because I, you know, I'm sure you were paying attention and there were, there, you know, there were some pretty steep uh, asks out there um, that probably led to some players not being traded that maybe could, would, or should have. Uh, so, you know, maybe the trade deadline wasn't the time to do that, but you can bet that the Toronto Blue Jays will be calling um, again this winter. Yeah, the Marlins themselves were at a very awkward position where they do, as I mentioned, have a lot of great arms coming up through the system. Mm -hmm. A number of them are injured, uh, having including several Tommy John uh, survivors that are in the middle of their rehab, where it's a little uncertain in the immediate term exactly how they would replace him. But in he's under team control through 2024, and I would say the chances of him being a Marlin through 2024 seem pretty low. Even Kim Eng was at least asked on Tuesday, the day before we were recording this, she was asked if Pablo is staying, uh, have you considered a contract extension for him to extend years of club control? And she deflected that one in the most polite way possible. And I don't think that's uh, necessarily her issue. It, this is a whole different tangent about the Marlins and their lack of uh, financial resources and whether they'd actually be willing to, after already giving a long-term deal to Sandy Alcantara, whether they'd be willing to do the same for another starting pitcher. Yeah. So that is um going into this deadline. I was very much on the fence as to whether they would deal him or not. And it did, by all accounts, go down to the wire based on mm -hmm. the Marlins just hoping that one of those teams would, would hit their very high asking price. And ultimately, uh, that did not go through. But I expect him yeah. to still be very much available as soon as this offseason once again. 
And it's funny you mention that because uh, leading up to the deadline, I also was trying to find as many um, kind of interviews and, and what have you um, with Aang because I wanted to to know how available Pablo Lopez was. I had kind of thought that on our podcast, one of our, our viewers had asked, you know, who's somebody that the Blue Jays could bring in that we don't necessarily see coming. And my answer was Pablo Lopez. And, uh, and I, I just, because there's that, again, there's that desire uh, on the part of the Blue Jays. Uh, and so I was listening to the things she was saying and, uh, you know, she hadn't talked to him about being traded and, you know, she made a comment that, you know, well, he's, he obviously knows what's going on and he's been pitching fine. So it's not bothering him. And then right before the deadline, he goes and has a, a pretty bad outing against the Mets. Um, and, and in my head, I'm like, okay, maybe she did say something to him. So, you know, maybe there was a deal um, that was almost, I guess, uh, come to fruition. I'm just glad it wasn't the Yankees. That's all. (laughs) Right. We're not going to go too deep into mock Pablo trades at the moment. There's just one player I wanted to ask you about, which Mm -hmm. is catching prospect Gabriel Moreno entering Mm -hmm. this year widely regarded as if not the very best catching prospect in baseball, certainly up there. He has now had a cup of coffee in the majors. And I believe if these teams had any engagement on a Pablo deal over the off season, Moreno would have been almost certainly off limits just because of how high his upside is and the very rare skills that he has for a catcher, all those factors. And I'm curious, not somewhat because of Moreno, but probably more so because of how Alejandro Kirk has been amazing this year as the primary catcher for the Jays that is that like one particular player that if he's he would be the centerpiece presumably if in one scenario for a Pablo trade do you think that's somebody that would be more available this upcoming offseason than he was last offseason yeah that's a fascinating question and I wish I knew like a concrete answer there because I think the Blue Jays catching situation over the last 18 months or so has kind of been fluid uh, you know, there was, it feels like for a year now, we've been uh, here in, you know, on the Blue Jay side of things, we've been saying, uh, now's the time to trade Alejandro Kirk because his value has never been higher. Um, you know, going into the offseason, we absolutely said that. And then you can run with Danny Jansen as your primary catcher. And then as soon as Gabriel Moreno is ready, bring him up. Um, and now here we are. Alejandro Kirk was an all-star. Um, and that I think has changed the conversation. Uh, now, as far as whether or not the front office, uh, agrees with, the, uh, you know, the fan base, cause I think some of the fan base was, you know, at the point where if it takes Gabriel Marino to win a world series, then deal him if you have to, uh, and you know, it's kind of, you know, not necessarily that you want to deal the best, uh, catching prospect in baseball, um, but if, if that's the price, then so be it. Um, but the front office, they really have this, they put a premium on two things, years of control and future value. And he has both. So it'll be very fascinating to me um, because all three catchers have uh, great value for very different reasons. Um, you know, and, and which one of them is the one that's kind of on the outside looking in it, it, you ask me the same question next month and it could be a completely different answer because that's how fluid the whole conversation is. That being said, Pablo Lopez, if you know, or any, any starting pitcher, let's be frank, you know, in the off season, 
you know that general managers are going to be asking the Blue Jays about Gabriel Moreno, and if the Blue Jays feel they're close enough uh, to you know to a championship team, they may for the first time consider trading him. But I think that would be a, a rare circumstance. I think what you really see is probably Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk, which would be a little tough because Kirk has established himself so well this season. Right. That's going to be. I just can't wait to go through all those scenarios this offseason. For a Marlins team that 10 games under 500, that's one of the things we're uh, looking forward to, unfortunately, this time of year. The last thing I wanted to get into you uh, is that another storyline for these Marlins last two months is probably going to be the final days of Don Mattingly as the team's manager. He's been the longest tenured manager in franchise history. It's been known that he was on in a walk year entering this year and that the team would simply need to perform a lot better than the year before order to keep him around for a while it looked like maybe he would be in a situation to earn a new deal but things have really fallen apart especially over the last month or so and uh, a new article from the miami herald it had some candid comments from him about him admitting himself that he's not he's not totally a hundred percent gung-ho about sticking around in the job if he's not wanted he's just putting it out there potentially not that he would get fired, but he might quit before they fire him, something like that. So I bring it up because the Blue Jays made their own managerial change just last month. They had Charlie Montoyo for three and a half years and switched to John Schneider. And um, Montoyo, with Montoyo, they were a little bit over 500. Since that change, they've been great in the small sample. And Montoyo just happened to be one guy in my mind as I'm beginning to put together this list of potential replacements. Uh, Montoyo is one that... Um, Obviously, was a very hot managerial prospect when the Jays signed him. And now that if he's going to be available again, uh, he has a lot of attributes that I was curious about. What, from your opinion, could you just give us an idea of why exactly that that relationship ended where it did in the middle of the year? And what do you think about him as a manager? Yeah, for sure. I think that um, at the time Charlie Montoya was hired, the Toronto Blue Jays front office was looking for somebody who had experience um, using analytics and would be open to the conversations from the front office. And when I say conversations, really, I mean, it's, you know, kind of like the front office saying, here's what you should do go do it kind of thing. And Charlie Montoya was good at that. He had no problem doing that. Um, one of the things, I think the biggest reason they brought him in was because he had success in the minor leagues in the Rays organization. Uh, and, you know, and they, they, at the time, the Blue Jays were a young team and they needed a manager who could work with young kids. Um, you know, the Vlad juniors and the Bo Bichette's and the Kevin Biggio's and, and help them kind of, um, grow into big league players. The thing that the, I think that the Blue Jays front office didn't count on was the team getting this good that quickly. And so then what happened was kind of Charlie Montoyo, I think, found himself uh, in a role that he wasn't necessarily suited for. He's a very good kind of like instructional coach, um, you know, a, a, a manager who can, like I said, bring those young kids in. But then now that they're here, what next? They have to take that next step to, to be a championship team. And at the time when he was let go, there was a lot of conversations and you had to read between the lines. Um, and then it became kind of, you know, it was not just between the lines. It was the lines that he kind of lost the clubhouse in the, in the sense that um, he wasn't able to hold 
the feet to the fire, so to speak, to light a fire under players, to kind of get that accountability out of them. Uh, you know, and, and Bo Bichette probably more bluntly than anybody said, you know, the front office felt like there was a, a time for a change and I don't disagree. Um, you know, whereas now they have John Schneider who won the championship two championships with multiple of these young kids uh, in the minors and he grew up with them and he knows how to make them win. Mm-hmm. Right. And he knows how to get the most out of them. So Charlie Montoyo, I guess I, to sum it up was, was good for what the intention was. Uh, and he was very good at that. Very nice guy, very personable and all of that. Um, but he just wasn't able to kind of push the, this, this group of players uh, to to get the most out of them. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you're looking, you know, would he be a good uh, candidate in Miami? It depends on, uh, you know, what stage in the process the Miami Marlins are uh, with regard to going, uh, moving toward being a contender. Um, if they're in the early stages and trying to get guys, you know, just used to being major league players and, and things like that and learning, uh, then yeah, Charlie Montoya is a great candidate. Uh, as we've seen in Toronto, though, he's not necessarily somebody to get you over the hump. Right. And what is aggravating, uh, I think, to a lot of Marlins fans is that it is unclear where at all in the process the team is because they have yeah. a pretty old lineup uh, when guys are actually healthy. And they, uh, it's one of the older teams that the franchise has ever fielded. And right. yet the results of, kind of speak for themselves where it's no improvement. Um, yeah, just from as everybody listening to this knows, it's just been a very frustrating time uh, where they seem stuck in this. Not even, it would be one thing to be stuck in the middle as like an averageish team. But when you're stuck at um, as a very below average team, um, and you've already given out big money uh, to guys, you don't know exactly how much you're going to have to available to spend to continue mm-hmm. uh, adding safer players to the organization. It is, um, it's very, I, I have no idea exactly what they'd be looking for in a manager. He was just uh, really the first name. This is going to be a pretty long exercise for me to like dive into exactly who they hired for that position. But he was the first one that came to mind for understandable reasons. Yeah. And I think too, the, you know, his, um, his ability to connect with Latin players, I think was, uh, right. was a, a, a big part of uh, what he did in, in Toronto, um, you know, and, and I don't think that the fact that the Blue Jays have such a, a solid chemistry in their clubhouse, I don't think he had nothing to do with that, you know, so he, he absolutely has uh, solid positive qualities that you want to see in a manager. Uh, and so, you know, I wouldn't, I would never say that he's a horrible manager and, you know, that he deserved to be fired. Um, because I think if you look at his, if you just want to put it at wins and losses, you know what? He, uh, they lose 95 games in 2019 and 2020, they're in the playoffs. 2021, they miss the playoffs by one game winning 92, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, he has had success, but I think the, the you know, the, the truth of the matter is I think they had success despite Charlie Montoyo as opposed to because of. Right. So it's, it's not the most ringing endorsement for you, but I, I appreciate <laughs> no, that, but that's great insight because I myself didn't have time to follow all the ins and outs of his, his tenure, yeah. but that was much appreciated. This whole appearance, Sean has been great. This, this is Sean Doyle from Jays from the couch. Check it out. Jays from the couch. 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com. And um, presumably everybody, a lot of people listening to this, you'll probably be hearing from us again very soon because we're tentatively planning a home and home podcast with me coming on your show to uh, talk about some related topics as well. So we won't make it too redundant. I'm sure we'll find some slightly different things to touch on during that conversation. I'm looking forward to it. And again, Sean, I greatly appreciate you coming on here on the Fish Tech. Oh yeah, no problem. I always enjoy talking baseball and Blue Jays and uh, it's always good to talk and get an insight from, you know, kind of other quote unquote markets, right? So I appreciate uh, you having me on. I've been Eli Sussman. From Fish Tribes, we appreciate everybody that's been listening here. Probably a new official show yeah, coming next week. Continue to cover this team every day as uh, as much as they make us want to pull our hair out. And as frustrating as this deadline has been, but we look we'll have plenty to talk about in August, September, and beyond. Thanks as always, and go fish.